listening to First Church Charlotte. So I have a fun title here this morning that you have never heard me preach before. Uh, this is the subject you have never heard me preach. And as soon as I give you my title, you will, you will know why I say that. My title today is Silence, Please. Silence, please. Now, why would I, why would I uh, surprise you with such a title when you know uh, that the kind of church we are is not the silent kind of church? There are churches you can go to, and silence is, you know, part of the part of the story. Uh, I went to a, a church here recently. I, I won't mention the name, but it was the, of the of the oldest tradition, shall we say? And uh, they the 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 whole service was read, and the 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 minister the minister never even looked up at the people. Uh, he stood there just like this the whole time, and he read the whole service. And I thought to myself, I thought sometimes I did a bad job. <laughs> And I, I, I just, I, I was shocked by it again every time I'm exposed to it. Um, I uh, want to be honest. We come from the other kind of tradition, not the quiet tradition. We come from the louder tradition. And to celebrate that tradition, can I have a great big first church? Amen. Yeah. Now, why, why are we from the louder kind of tradition? Well, because we're just loudmouths, that's why. Um, actually, no, um, in the Bible, there's about a dozen words from Hebrew or Greek that translate into what we call praise or worship, about a dozen words. Uh, not one of them means to be both still or silent. In other words, if you're going to praise the Lord, you're going to have to do what? Move or make noise. We're still trying to get this side over here lined up, you know. Y'all are prayed through, hallelujah, filling the spirit, bunch of backsliders over here. Uh, <laughs> um, you have to move or make noise. And so uh, the people of God, not just today, not just in the church age, but going all the way back uh, to the tabernacle and to the temple, um, they would sing together. They would praise the Lord together. They would clap their hands together. They would shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Now, not everybody does that, um, but maybe some of you guys should try it sometime. I know it may not be what you're used to. I have a secret plan for you. Try it in your shower a few times. Uh, it'll freak your spouse out. Uh, just a shout of triumph from the shower. But if, if, as you get better with it, um, it might be something that works for you. Uh, so, I want you to know that we, we talk about, you know, praising the Lord, coming together, lifting our voices, clapping our hands, and moving and making noise. And yes, that is a part of praise and worship, as you know. But we also reverence the Lord, and we also uh, enjoy the stillness of his presence. We also wait upon the Lord. And here's the, the really, uh, I think, helpful point for us all to get, is there are spiritual lessons in both of them, do you see? There's spiritual lessons in coming together with other brothers and sisters and joining our enthusiasm together and joining our, our efforts, lifting our hands together, singing together. There's spiritual lessons in that. 
And there's also spiritual lessons in the fact that after the fire and after the earthquake and after the storm, there is a still, small voice. So uh, this subject today, uh, silence please, will hopefully be explained in a positive manner. I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter number 6, verse number 7. Uh, this is from the building of Solomon's temple. And the temple... When it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Think about that. They built one of the most amazing structures of their national story. They, they planned it. They raised the money for it. They organized the materials for it. And when they built it, it did not sound like a construction site. I, I spent a good few years working in construction, and if there's one thing I know, it's that construction uh, is noisy. Uh, it's the kind of noisy where if they decide to work on the street outside your house, you're going to have to pray about your cussing. Uh, if they start early or work late, you're going to have to talk to your spouse. Maybe your spouse is like mine and needs lots of prayer. You're going to have to keep them from, uh, you know, saying, saying things, saying ugly things because the noise is really legitimate. Uh, construction is really about, you know, uh, moving heavy things, breaking up heavy things, connecting heavy things. And so you have everything from earth moving equipment with the, the most pleasing beeping sound that's ever been designed. And every time it goes in reverse, it's an ear piercing beep, beep. And then that's when those words start coming out of your mouth. And uh, then they have jackhammers to break up. They have backhoes. They have uh, skid steers. It's all a mess. Huge dump trucks coming, dropping 17 tons of gravel at a, ta at a time, right? And it's just a loud, loud. And then once they start, once they get the earth done and they start cutting the rebar, they use cutoff tools and they're cutting steel and they're using this, this, this blade. It's just screaming when it cuts. It screams through the steel. And then if that's not enough, then you have cranes and they're doing more steel work. And the, it, you get the idea. It's very, very noisy. Not so when they built Solomon's temple. It was not treated like it was a construction site. I, I want to use this as a teaching illustration for, for all of us here today. It was not used in the manner of a typical construction site where you bring your materials, you correct fit, shape your materials, you place your material. It was not treated like that. It was treated as though God was already there. Now, 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 stay with me for a moment. There's a, a powerful lesson. I, I should apologize because this is going to be one of those messages where I, I do what I love to do, my favorite kind of teaching or preaching. And you take these beautiful teaching examples and pictures through the whole of the Bible, you connect them, and then you show the deep spiritual profundity that's in the scripture on every page. 
Now, I like to do this. Sometimes when I do it, people look at me like they really wish I would just do something practical, and I have to apologize for being too complicated. But today, I don't even care. I'm mad about the screens being out. If you don't like it, just talk bad about me over lunch. We are going to look at this beautiful, beautiful example here in the silence of the construction of the temple. There was a great TED Talk on silence. Most of us don't think much about it, but most of us do live very noisy lives. Seven things that silence helps you to do. Number one, all of these are based in scientific studies from sociology and psychology. Number one, silence helps you to concentrate. Um, it is, uh, can be shown that as the decibels uh, you are subjected to rise, your ability to concentrate on a tedious task can be measurably, is inversely related to that. Um, and so once a sound reaches above 80 decibels, your ability to focus almost, it, it, it begins to decline very sharply. Uh, also, you can index creativity, measurable creativity when people are given tasks. You can measure it in response to how much distraction, how loud the environment is. Number three, you can measure people's awareness of what's going on around them, completely indexed, uh, a direct relationship to how loud the environment is. Also, you can measure when you ask people to judge their sense of inner calm. Um, it is very much related to, uh, related to the noise of the environment they are in. Most of us don't do good um, at creating moments of silence in our life. But I, uh, listening to the TED Talk, I was impressed to realize that you, you actively can influence the level of your stress. None of you have stress, so I'll just pretend like this is for someone else and move through it quickly. But you literally can control the level of stress in your life by creating oases of silence, oases, I should say, of silence where you have um, uh, the discipline to make a quiet moment and your calm is measurably, your, your stress is measurably uh, reduced. Uh, also, you can show with studies that... Uh, People learning in noisy environments will not retain as much of the knowledge as if they had been in a quiet environment. Productivity, uh, Inc. Magazine had a great study referencing, or a great article referencing these studies. If you really need to be cr uh, creative, uh, you need to uh, create silence around you. If you need to be productive, you need to create silence around you. And number seven, here's the interesting thing. Uh, you can measurably help people's patience with the stress of their life by creating moments of calm and silence in their day. Uh, for example, if when you take people and before they commute to work, they sit down and they calm themselves and they sit silently for as short as a couple of minutes, will experience lower levels of stress on the way to work than they would have if they just would not have taken the time to do it. So let me say it this way. There is a, a power in silence. There, there is a power in silence. And let me say this. Most of us are not doing good with silence. Most of us are part of the modern multitasking tribe where we think we can do more things than we actually can do. And can some religious people say amen? amen. 
uh, I go into my son's room, and he has, not kidding, not kidding, he has his laptop in front of him, and he's playing a game, and he has his iPad over here, and he's playing a YouTube, uh, a YouTube channel, and his phone is sitting to the left of it, and he's getting texts from his friends, and I got so mad at it, I, did, I just turned around and walked up to my office, and I sit down on my computer, and I started working on what I was working on while I had the podcast playing, and I had my phone sitting there in case someone texts me. I would never do what my son does. Uh, we all of us have fallen into this habit of, of multitasking as a way of life. And um, it's, it's, it's not all bad. Some of it is just the manner of adjusting to uh, modern, modern life and modern experience. But I, I want to point out to you uh, that uh, reverence is not something you do with a lot of noise, uh, not, not necessarily something to do with a lot of movement. Reverence isn't praise and worship. Praise and worship is necessary, and it is powerful, but we don't praise God for God's sake. We praise God for our sake. God doesn't need to know how powerful he is. We need to be reminded of how powerful he is. So when we come together like people of faith from all generations, we focus our mind, we direct our hearts, we clap our hands, we sing praises to God, we say, you have brought us through every trial, we shout to God with a voice of victory. That's what we do when we come together. It's not about God reassuring, reassuring God. It's not as though we have this middle school theology where God needs to know that we really, really, really approve of his tennis shoes. That is not what we do when we're praising God and worshiping God. What we're doing is reminding us that God is in heaven and we're on earth and we serve him. He does not serve us. That's why you need to come to church. That's why you need to be a worshiper. Those of you watching from afar, you need to be a worshiper in your house. You need to say, great is the Lord. Great is his name. You are the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. There's no one like you. You spoke and the heavens were formed. You spoke and the water separated from the land. You spoke and the heavens were filled with birds. You spoke and... You need to be a praiser. You need to be a worshiper. God doesn't need self-esteem. You need to put him on the throne. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Mm. I blame, I blame y'all for that. I wasn't even trying, and then y'all made me do that. And so uh, we, we do this. We praise and worship God because of who he is, not because of who we are. It's not about us being good enough to do it. It's about who he is and the reminder that we need him, the reminder that our hope is in God. I have a job, but my hope is not in my job. I, you know, I have money. Uh, I steal from my wife regularly, so I have money. I want you to know my hope is not in that money. Money comes and goes. You know what I'm saying? It comes and goes. It, 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 sometimes you're rich, sometimes you're poor. Rich is better. Uh, but I want you to know uh, money comes and goes. My hope is not in money. I have a good doctor. I really do. He's this guy. He's upset. OCD. He'll worry about everything. And he makes, anyway, I'm not going to tell you about all that. But I want you to know my, my hope's not really there. I need to remind this self that I am not enough for myself. I need God. I need his life. I need his promise. I need his goodness. 
So it's right for us to come together and put God in his place so we can know what our place is. Okay, so uh, we don't really reverence together, and that's why you see this image. Let me just real quick remind you of the story of Elijah, where when he's calling the people to account and he's bringing them together, he's asking for a divine manifestation, and he prays, and he prepares, and he leads the people in this prayer to God, Lord, demonstrate your power here, now, and what happens? Fire falls, you see, and what? God's in that. God's in that fire. The whole house comes together, and and there's this a religious awakening, and it, it, it's among the, the common people. It doesn't make it to the political class. That's the problem. The leaders are rejecting and trying to literally kill Elijah. They came together. They exalt. They worship God just like we do. We come together. We, we exalt. We call. It's public. It is loud. It is boisterous. It is dramatic. But now, Elisha... Elijah, I should say, filled with fear, running before the Lord, now... Depressed, discouraged, God shakes the whole earth, but he's not in it. Now, by himself, alone, there's fire, but God's not in it. Do you see? In the silence, in the loneliness of his own solitude, God speaks to him in the still, small voice. Uh, Reverence is not something you need other people for. I want to say that again. Reverence isn't something you need other people people for. I want to say this. Praise and worship from other people will help you praise and worship. But reverence from other people will not help you reverence. You will daydream while they think about how much they need God. You'll think about your to-do list while they talk about how much they need God. Reverence is not what draws other people in. Yes, praise and worship. And so when we come together, we don't reverence together, although sometimes we do have quiet moments. We praise and worship together, and in our relationship with God, we pursue him. He stands at the door and knocks. That is that relationship, that reverence of God we need both in our life. But I, I want to show you an example that I think is, is, is powerful and beautiful uh, in this story. Um, in spite of all of the chaos and noise of construction, when Solomon built this temple unto the Lord, uh, there was no sound of construction. Everything that needed to be shaped, formed, chopped, cut, sawed, it happened uh, far away. And when they brought it to the house of the Lord, it fit together. So there was no sound of a hammer. There was no sound of a of a, 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 a hammer on a chisel of sorts, or um, uh, you get the idea. Any type of sawing, there was a holy reverence of this place before God ever demonstrated His power there. Stay with me. Uh, you will remember when Solomon dedicates the temple. I love the story. I've, I've preached it a lot. Uh, I put a, did a whole chapter in my book about it. This moment where uh, Solomon. Solomon is praying to dedicate his temple that's built unto the Lord. And so what does he do? He asks God this question, will God dwell with men? It's the original question. Uh, We who are alienated from God, who are separated from spiritual paradise, the doors of Eden closed to us. Can we have fellowship with God? Will you abide with men? And uh, there's 120 priests there, and the Spirit of the Lord 
answers the request and falls like fire upon the sacrifice. And what happens to the 120 priests that are in that place dedicated unto the Lord? The Bible says they cannot minister. We don't know if they uh, spoke in a manner that could not be understood or if they had locked jaw like the lions of Daniel's cave. We don't know what happened, but whatever they had planned was interrupted and they could not do it. God answered, yes, he will dwell with men and 120 priests could not minister. This is symbolic of another event that would happen and this is at the day of Pentecost and they are in one accord in one place seeking after God, asking fervently for the promise to be fulfilled that although Jesus had gone away, he would not leave us comfortless somebody, but he would come to us. His spirit would be given. So what happens after they have been dedicated to prayer, dedicated to focus. Let me just say, if, if any of you are seeking after the gift of the Holy Spirit manifest by tongues as it was on the day of Pentecost, you're going to have to do what they did. You're going to have to set aside some time and seek after God until you get beyond you. You will not receive that gift of tongues, and it is a gift. It's a sign of the God's spirit. You will not receive that gift of tongues praying in a formal manner. You have to tarry until you get beyond you because you don't get it thinking about who won the football game. It just does, it's not how it happens. You have to push beyond you. And so uh, you can do that where you are. You can do that in your own home. You can pray fervently or you can come together with others. Remember, other people's praise and worship will influence you and impact you. Uh, and so on this day, after days of prayer and, and time of dedication, caught up in worship and prayer and calling upon God, God answers the question again, will he dwell with men? And what happens? Spiritual fire falls in that room, and they all begin to speak with another tongue as the Spirit gives them utterance. So any Pentecostals here today? Praise God. And so I want every one of you to have that experience because you will, nothing else will be so powerful in your personal testimony as you experiencing that. It was so powerful. It changed the disciples from being fearful, from being hesitant to being bold and confident, the power of that experience in their life. And so um, this moment of the fire falling is in, uh, in, in the prayer of Solomon happens at the old temple. It is, of course, a prophetic foreshadowing of what would happen on the day of Pentecost. But I want you to consider a logical, a logical thing that if Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple, that means that's when the presence of God fell and inhabited the temple. Stay with me. So that means before the temple was done, uh, wait a minute, wait, if the temple's not done and Solomon hasn't prayed and the spirit hasn't fallen, then although the Lord is everywhere, you can't really say the manifest Shekinah glory of God is here. So why are you treating it like it's holy when the presence of the Lord is not already here? Why are you treating this place like it is rever reverential when it isn't? I don't think reverential is a word. I think referential is a word. But in the manner of creative speakers, I love to make up words and increase the idiom of the language. So uh, that's what I do. Uh, if the Spirit of the Lord isn't there, why are we reverencing it like it is? 
be quiet over there. This is a holy place. And one worker says to another, don't drop that. This is a holy place. I don't have to tell this side to be quiet because they never make any noise over here. This is a very holy place. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. Um, uh, This is a very holy place over here. But you workers over here, uh, I want you to know this is a reverential place. This is a, we don't just drop hammers around here. In fact, I'm going to need you to take all those hammers out of the church house. I want you to think about reverence in this place. But, but sir, but sir, um, uh, we haven't even dedicated it to the Lord yet. Oh, we're treating it like it's holy before it's holy. Really? Well, I, isn't Solomon going to pray? And over here you have Bob. Bob's like, well, I think it's unnecessary. We could get this work done faster if I was able to use this here hammer in my hand. Uh, no, 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 no. This is the Lord. This is a holy place, and we're going to treat it like it's holy. But, but that doesn't make any sense because Solomon hasn't even prayed, and uh, we're treating it like the Lord's here, and uh, duh, the Lord isn't here yet. I mean, he's everywhere, yeah, but I mean, you can take that too far, so let's not get carried away like you did last time. Let's just, let's, let's just get this job done. No. Treat it like it's holy now. All righty. Hmm. How about them apples? So when the temple of the Lord is built by Solomon, the materials are worked on away and fitted and cut and carved and measured. Then they are brought and set silently in their respective places. No hammers, no chisels, no stone saw, nothing of noise. When they set every heavy thing down, there's a holy hush of reverence. We're going to treat this house like it's holy and we haven't even built it yet. It's in progress. Somebody say in progress. We're going to treat it like it's holy. It's a hot mess, but we're going to treat it like it's holy. Let me remind you something uh, very, very, very very important. Uh, The temple, and this again, here I go with my Bible uh, nerd, but I I just, I want so much to share this with you because I want you to see. Uh, The temple that Solomon built uh, was not really the temple that God was interested in building. And I I want to show this to you in the scripture. Remember, King David wanted to build the house, and and the Lord uh, stopped him and said, no, you're not going to build the house. Um, Your son is going to build the house. Um, If you build it, you're known as a man of war, and the nations around about, if you build the house, will think of me as a god of war. And I want your son, who is known for diplomacy, I want him to build it, because I do not want to be known as a god of war, even though I know how to fight. I want to be known as a god of peace. And that's why I want him to build this, uh, this house. I want to remind you all of this truth. Uh, in the kingdom of God, anger has been defeated by love. Yes. In the kingdom of God, divine wrath has been silenced by divine charity. In the kingdom of God, judgment has been muzzled by grace. Therefore, we have peace with God. Yeah. 
And so uh, Solomon begins to build this house, but I want you to know that when David first expresses, expresses his desire, King David first expresses his desire uh, to build the Lord a house, if you read the text, if you read the language, um, it's almost though the Lord is considering it and he hasn't really thought, it, thought about it before. Um, I, I, I encourage you as homework this week to fi- find that passage uh, in, in, in the story of the kings and read where David tells the Lord he wants to build a house. And the Lord's like, huh, have I asked for a house? It's almost as though the Lord had not really thought about having a, like uh, his own type uh, place where he could live. I, I really don't, I can be in the rain and not get wet, you know. <laughs> I can be in the cold and I'm not cold, you know. <laughs> a house, interesting concept that. And uh, so what the Lord tells him is that your son is going to build it. Now I'm reading Second Samuel uh, chapter number seven. Um, actually, this is the chapter where you will want to read uh, the story. Second Samuel chapter number seven, verse number four. It came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan. This is the prophet uh, Nathan saying, go and tell your servant David, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt build me a house for me to dwell in, question mark. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Nathan to communicate to King David. Huh, you're going to build me a house to dwell in? And when your days be fulfilled and you sleep with your father, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wait just a minute. Pause for a moment. Lend me your spiritual consideration. I have something to share with you. Which son of David are we talking about now? Uh, We're talking about, of course, uh, the son we think of, Solomon, who built the Lord a house. But is that who the prophet Nathan is talking about? Uh, Solomon can't be the one to build a house for God's name because God's name has not been revealed. God's titles are many, but God's name will not be revealed until the day the angel speaks and says, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their... Thank you. They beat you this time. They're getting spiritual and y'all are going downhill. Uh, That's what I want you to see. Uh, uh, There's another building happening right now. Yes, you know about Solomon's temple, but I want to tell you about another building that's being built. It's not being built by Solomon. It's being built by another son of David. Uh, It is not Solomon's son of David. Uh, It is Jesus, son of David. So we are talking about two kinds of houses here. One house is going to be built by Solomon, and one house is going to be built by uh, God himself. And God's going to establish upon that kingdom, that house, a throne which shall be forever. The most important son of David is not Solomon. The most important son of David is the one who is building an eternal house. 
Now, lest you think I'm just making this up, let me give you some more scripture so you might have, dearly beloved, your understanding opened, and you might also be a Bible nerd with other Bible nerds. Zechariah chapter number 6, verse number 12. This is another prophet speaking, and here they're talking about that other son of David, Jesus, but they don't know his name. And so they're referring to him in prophetic role. What is his prophetic role? He will be a a root out of Jesse, a branch out of that family. This is what they're referring to. So listen to this. Chapter number six, verse number 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. Behold, the man whose name is the branch, he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Wait a minute. I thought Solomon built the temple. Oh, well, you're not all wrong. There's just more to the story. Solomon wasn't the only builder in the lineage of David, but this son of David. We don't know his name, but we're going to refer to him as a prophetic role. Let's call him the branch. He shall build the temple of the Lord, verse 13. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. He shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall between them, shall be between them both. They here, the prophet here, is not speaking about Solomon. The prophet is speaking about another son of David who is going to build the eternal house of the Lord. Not the house of the Lord that survived for a few generations. The eternal house of the Lord. And that is not a house built by Solomon. That is a house built by Jesus, thou son of David. Let me give you some New Testament story. So we begin to tie together the realization of what God is doing in the here and now. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 9. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. Wait, what? Wait, think about it. You mean to tell me that this building we're sitting in is not the church? You mean to tell me that this roof over our heads is not the church? Thank you very much. That's exactly what I mean to tell you. The church is not a set of buildings. You could burn it down and the church would still be here praying, calling upon the name of the Lord, praising God. You can take a group of people focused on the promises of God. You can take them from this building to that building and that building to that building. And guess what? Where two or three together are gathered together in his name, he is there in the midst of them. I actually know of churches that were saddled in bad, bad locations, and uh, they counted how many guests they were having and how many visitors they were having, and they decided to sell the church and take the church mobile until the city knew how, who they were, and then once they had people, then they'll look for a building, and there's actual stories of churches that relaunched and started over and went mobile for a while. Now, I just want to say right now that if any of you want to go mobile, I'm retendering my resignation. An angel's going to have to come down from heaven and put a sword on the tip of my Adam's apple and say, you better do what I say, buddy. And if that doesn't happen, I'm not going mobile because it's a lot of work. 
and I'm lazy, but I want to say this to you. A church is not a building. A church is people. Let me tell you what you are. You are the stones of the church. God builds a church out of stones. God takes stones and the great theologians of the New Testament call them living stones and God takes living stones and he covers you in his mercy and what does he do? He begins to work on you. Don't act righteous. Don't act righteous. Don't act righteous. You know what God's doing to you? He's working on your carnal hide. Let's do some how real confession. How many of you did something this week you had to repent over? I'm raising my hand. I did something. Let me tell you a funny story. On the way to church this morning, I was so grumpy. I'm, I'm mad about the sickness whose name shall not be mentioned. I'm mad about that. I'm mad about the, uh, the problems related to that. I'm, mad, I, I'm grumpy. I'm tired. I'm, I'm over it. And I sometimes am a little bit grumpy. And on the way to church, I was grumpy to my family. I griped at my kids. I yelled at my wife. Not really yelled, but I kind of, kind of, you know, hmm, hmm, hmm. No comments. I kind of got grumpy with my wife. And then I pull up over here and I park down here and Sister Camry is parked there right beside us. And, um, you know, Sister Camry always has that smile on her face and she's always dressed so appropriately and she's just a lovely person and she doesn't have any grumpiness. It's just people like me who get grumpy. She just carries the spirit of the Lord everywhere she goes. And I'm like griping at my family rah, 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 all the way to church. And rah, 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 rah. I get to church. I pull up. I park the car. I get out. I see Kimberly. I say, praise the Lord, Sister Kimberly. And I realized what I had done, and I busted out laughing. And I said, Sister Kimberly, I have griped to my family all the way here to this service. I get out of the car, and I act like I'm righteous. <laughs> and you know what's funny? If some of you did, did all that all, you did that all week. I just did it on this way to church this morning because I was tired and grumpy. All of us are works in progress. Let me ask you. How many of you have been convicted about something recently in your life? I have. I have something in my life. I've been convicted over, and I felt the nudging of the Spirit, and the Lord saying, no, uh, not this, not this. That's, that's really not what we're looking for here. How about less of that? And I felt that in my spirit because I'm a construction project. I am messy. I am imperfect. Sometimes if you come around me, you'll hear the sound of a hammer, and it's chopping on me, and it's knocking parts off of me and rough edges off of me. You hang around me long, you'll hear me apologize. I, I, I do things wrong, but once I catch myself, I apologize. Some of you need to learn that. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's biblical. Try it. It's the breakfast of champions. <laughs> No amens anywhere. All right. So I want you to know that we are all of us construction projects. Yeah. All right. Let me take you a little bit further. Yes, Solomon built the temple, but God is building the real house of the Lord, and you are the living stones of that building. You are God's building, 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 9. Now, let's go to Peter. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, ye who, to whom coming as unto a living stone. Somebody say living stone. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen by God and precious. He's talking about
about believers in the church. He's talking about imperfect people continually turning their heart toward God. Less of this world, less of the things of the flesh. Turn my heart toward God. And God takes us as living stones. And he says, let me build my house out of this person and that person. And so that's how you got into the church. That's how there was a place made for you. God took you as a living stone and he placed you. And the you're just a part of the building and God is building this building and you are a living stone. Verse number five, ye also as living stones or lively stones are built up into a spiritual house. Somebody say a spiritual house. That's what you, that, that's what you are. That's why you need to be a part of a church. That's why the local church matters because you are not enough in yourself. You are a house that God is building. You are joined to other people. You are placed with other people. You are living stones in the house of the house of the Lord. And so you see this as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so the real building of the house of God uh, is not the building made by Solomon. It's not even the building built after the exile of the Jews to Babylon. Uh, the real house of God was not the temple in whose court Jesus stood and it was condemned and argued with by uh, the leaders of that temple. That wasn't the real house of God. In fact, Jesus himself points that out when he says this, destroy this temple, Herod's temple, and in three days I will raise it back up again. This is the image I want you to see. We try to build God a house, but God's going to build his own house. He's just going to include you in the construction and the inhabitation of that house. While the church is here, we are a part of that house. And when we are taken away, behold, to our surprise, we were building a place with him for us. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says, that where I am there ye may be also. God is building a house, and you are part of that house. God is putting it together. We tried to build houses of our flesh, but they're destroyed by empire, time, and kingdom. We tried to build uh, temples uh, suitable for worship, uh, but they fell with Roman armies and they fell with Babylonian hordes and they came to nothing. All the works of man come to nothing and while we are busy failing, God is busy succeeding. And not only that, not only that, but God sees our effort and goes one better. Watch this. God is not inhabiting this place of Solomon's temple. The fire hasn't fallen. The prayer hasn't been given. But they're treating it like it's already holy. And grace is watching. There's no sound of a hammer breaking a rock that needs to be corrected in this place. 
because they're reverencing God as though this place is already holy and yet it isn't already holy. They're treating it like God is there and the fire hasn't yet fallen and the place has not been dedicated and they're already offering it as though as though God himself is here. And while we're doing our best, grace is watching and God decides to do one better. He says, you have tried to treat it as though it's holy when it's not holy. I'm going to do the same for you. I'm going to treat you like you're holy long before you are ever holy. So let me tell you the truth about Pastor Nate. Pastor Nate is a construction zone. God's working on me. God's convicting me. God's straightening me out. God's telling me when I have a bad attitude. Let me tell you the truth about some of you. Some of you guys have secret sin. You've been fighting it. You're not proud of it. You're working on it. You're trying to improve it. And yet, after you make progress, it seems like it finds a way to come back in. That's how the flesh works. And yet here you are, filling the presence of the Lord. You're far from holy. But grace said, don't look at them, look at me. Don't look at them, look at me. And we who deserve the death angel find that the threshold of our life is covered by the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb of God. And so although my life is a construction zone, God has given me his righteousness. He didn't just see what they did trying to reverence a place he had not manifest himself he said I'm going to do one better and now I want to tell you this truth about you it is the great hope of the house that is being built by God let me say it again it is the great hope of the house that is being built by God and that is this God uses imperfect people God uses flawed people. God uses broken people to build a perfect house. How can you take broken things and build a perfect house? Well, let me tell you, you have to be a master craftsman. But God can take broken things. And when he's finished building, he has built a perfect house. Romans 3, verse number 21. But now a righteousness of God has been revealed apart from law, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ toward all and upon all those who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a covering through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness through the passing by, the passing by, the passing by of the sins that had taken place before in the forbearance of God for the display of his righteousness. Somebody say his righteousness at this time for him to be just and forgiving the one being of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what have I read that for? I've just given you Paul's systematic theology of why God uses imperfect people. 
The church is made of imperfect people. The church should sound like a construction project. It should sound like nonstop God trying to straighten you out. God trying to knock you upside your carnal head. God trying to get you to stop act, acting the fool. You know who you are. Go forth, thou art healed. That's what church should sound like. But instead, you step in this place and you hear no sound of judgment. You hear no call for pain. You hear no judgment of God's anger upon you. Instead, you're the one who's invited to praise not yourself, but the one who is holy and the one who is righteous. God is building a perfect building and he is doing it within perfect people. And if you want to get one theme from the Bible, you need to get this one. God uses broken, flawed people. Adam and Eve disobeyed while they were living in paradise. Noah got drunk just after he was delivered by the grace and mercy of God. Abraham thought he was too old and lied about his wife. Sarah laughed at God's promises. Isaac lied just like his dad. Jacob was a deceiver and a schemer. Leah was considered to be hard to look at and unwanted. Sounds like me, right? Joseph was abused and mistreated, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was fearful. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were both considered too young. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah would rather die than face his problems. Uh, Isaiah walked around naked for three years. Yeah, read it. Isaiah 20. I know you wish that wasn't in the Bible, but I'm sorry. You don't get to pick. Jonah ran from God. Naomi had a bitter spirit. Job went bankrupt. <laughs> Peter denied the Lord three times. The disciples had a bad habit of sleeping during prayer meeting. Martha worried about anything and everything. The Samaritan woman was a many-time divorcee and shacking up. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had stomach problems. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> I just want to say for the record, he ain't the only one. <sighs> what am I getting at as my musicians come and begin to play something to remind me to quit preaching? What am I trying to get at? What am I trying to get at? God uses imperfect people. Not one of us is a stone ready for setting. We're all a mess. And God's working on us. And God's shaping us. And God's correcting us. And God's forgiving us. And God's working on us. And God's correcting us. And God's shaping us. And you had a bad attitude again. And you thought you were over that bad attitude. But maybe you were. But that bad attitude wasn't over you. You thought you had forgiven them. And then you saw them at the grocery store. And you growled. You thought you were over gossip, but they were just so interesting. And when they said that, man, boom, the interest went to level number 11. Uh, you thought you were done with that. You thought you'd have faith, and then you found out you were getting laid off. You thought you had money in the bank, and then your transmission went out. And here you are, stumbling back into the house of God. If the truth were told, all of us are construction projects. But God sees what they do. And they say, we're going to reverence it before you're even here. And God says, I'm going to go one better. I'm going to make you holy before you're holy. Come on. I'm going to pronounce forgiven when the accuser says guilty. Every time hell says they deserve to suffer, I'm going to say, who are you talking about? Hey, 
when I look, I see only innocent blood shed as a covering for their life. This is why I don't want you to give up just because you're tired, because you are being placed in God's building that he is building. This is why I want you to keep coming to church even when you haven't been right because you are being placed in God's building and God uses imperfect material. Humanity can't do that. It can't really do that. It can't. Uh, they can't. They have to protect. They, let me say it right. They have to perfect the materials before they can use them. And therefore, if the material is not just perfect, I know some churches like that, by the way. You're welcome to try them out. Um, if the material's just perfect, then we, that's how we build. God said, oh, I can do better than that. I can take imperfect material. You, you take perfect materials and do your best. That's what we did with Eden. You, you understand what I'm saying? We're giving paradise. We're giving perfection. We make a mess of it. Sorry for yelling at you. I was excited. Seemed like a good idea at the time. God takes a mess and he builds a perfect house. This is grace. This is mercy. This is hope. This is why you shouldn't quit church. Stand with me all across the house. This is why you ought to keep letting God work on your life. This is why you need to keep repenting of your sins. Oh, go ahead with that. Take your time. Take your time. This is why you need to have an altar in your life. That's why you need to go and you need to say, God, it's me again. I, I have some things I need to work on. I am here again, Lord. Wash me. Put me on the potter's wheel. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Oh, God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lift your hands all across the house. Lord Jesus, use us for the building of your house. We are in perfect materials, yes. But use us for the building of your house, oh God. Take my weak efforts. Take my imperfect character. Somehow use it for your glory, oh God. Take this church full of good people, sincere lovely people, God. Take them, flaws and all, and build your house, oh God. You are the master craftsman. We are your, your people. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name. I want to do something here. I want to do something here right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask you to make yourself vulnerable so I, as a pastor, can pray for you. And that's why I'm asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. How many of you would, would raise your hand here today and confess you're not where you need to be with God and you want to turn toward Him? Raise your hands all across the house. But no one's looking. We're not in your business. There's hands all over the house here today that are raised of people who are making a public acknowledgement to God. They're standing here in God's presence. They are admitting they need the presence of God in their life. I want to pray for every one of you who raised your hands right now. Lord Jesus, I am bringing each one of these individuals to you. Lord, I don't even know all of their names, God, but in this moment where your presence filled this house, they humbled themselves and they, 
they, they, they ask for your touch. They ask for your guidance. They acknowledge that they need to turn away from the things of the, this world and this life. And they're striving to turn their hearts toward you here today. God, we repent together with every one of them. We each of us repent of the sins of our life. And we each of us repent for the errors, the bad attitudes, the impatience, the flaws of character. Lord, we don't want to be people of the lusts of the flesh. We don't want to be immoral people. We don't want to be angry, intemperate people. We ask for your forgiveness here today. Wash us with your blood. And now we, con we, we confess our need of you. We turn our hearts towards you. We say not us. We say not this world, but you. Less of me, less of this world. Give us Jesus. We, we make that cry here today. Everyone who raised their hand in this house, Lord Jesus, this week, would you help us to keep our eyes focused on you? In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh, I feel the presence of the Lord here right now. Some of you, some of you who have prayed this prayer, you, you should be feeling the presence of the Lord right now. So let me talk to you before we have prayer for other needs here. Um, what you just did is an important thing. Um, well, sometimes we rush through it, but that's what you're going to have to do every day. You're going to have to turn away from me and self and flesh and desires of the flesh. You're going to have to say, Lord, that's not the way. I turn away from that and I turn my heart toward you. This is what it means when you, 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 you repent of your way and you turn your heart toward God's way. And I want you, I want you having to acknowledge that's where you're at and that's the path. I want you to think about how you can connect to our church team, our church pastoral team. Uh, we don't have a pastoral team because I can't do the preaching. You guys know I love to preach. I can preach six days a week. Wouldn't bother me a bit if my throat would hold up to it. Um, I don't have a pastoral team because I need more preaching. I have a pastoral team because there's more needs that I could cover. And so if you're at that place where you, you can raise your hand and you can say, I, I, I need to turn my heart toward God, please, this is me pleading with you, please reach out to our pastoral team at our church. You probably know one of us by now. If you don't, you can send an email to pastor at firstchurchclt.com. Make that connection. One of our pastors will connect with you. Uh, we'll try to make that, that spiritual path clear try to rejoice with you as you repent and as you go through the proper acknowledgments of divine identity that's why we're baptized in Jesus name you're not your own anymore you take on his name do you see we want to connect you with spiritual seekers who can help you when you pursue the touch of God's spirit in your life and your infilling your testimony of uh, Holy Spirit Holy Spirit tongues in your life that's going to happen through connection. You have to be vulnerable. It's not enough to just listen to a message. You, you have to. So I'm pleading with you today. You guys know I don't do that a lot, but today I'm doing it. Reach out to us. We can't do altar services the way we used to. I'm tired of fighting it. I really am. Uh, we'll always have prayer, but that's just where we are. But the needs haven't gone away. I just need you to be vulnerable to what God would like to do to you, for you, in you, through you. That's my request. That's my request. In fact, today, 
if you're ready. I'll be down here in the front. Pastor Don will be down here in the front. If you're ready to connect with a spiritual mentor, someone who will pray with you, someone who will answer questions, today's the day. Don't put it off. Today, right now. Today, at the end of the service, right here in the altar. It can be the first step of the rest of your life. All right, enough. Uh, uh, enough of that. How many of you know a specific need that you would like to take to the Lord in faith right now? Raise your hand all across the house. This is neat. Well, let me ask the next question. How many of you know somebody who isn't here, but they desperately need a touch of God? So I want you to do two things. First of all, you're going to pray for the need you know that's in your life. And then you're going to pray for the person who isn't here today. And we're going to let this whole moment turn into a spiritual prayer service. Would you join me right now? Lord God, we are coming to you in faith. Lord Jesus, we are asking for the needs that we are specifically speaking of right now. Vague prayer requests don't require faith, so we are speaking a specific prayer request. Lord, I'm praying for the uh, leaders in our own church who right now are, are, are isolated because they're sick, Lord. We have pastors in our church who are uh, isolated because of that and their families, Lord. I pray your protection upon their body. I pray for a momentous healing for the sake of your name being exalted. That's needs I am uh, representing right now. Lord God, you know the needs called out, the names that are mentioned all across this house. You, you know the people who are sick and need strength in their body. You know the people who are unable to be here because they are battling chronic illnesses, oh God. We are believing right now that you would do a work in their lives. Lord Jesus, we're praying for us as a church. We're praying that you would use us for your glory. Lord, don't, we don't try, we're not trying to build a church for us, Lord. We're not trying to build a, a house for us, God. We're trying to tr please you. Uh, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you protect us? Uh, protect us from enemies. Protect us from error. Lord God, be with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Work among your people. Let us all be brought near to you. Let us be powerfully transformed by your power. One more thing, because I just, I'm, I'm sorry, but I gotta tell you one more thing. First of all, God can work in the silence. It doesn't have to be noisy for God to work. In fact, don't think because your life seems to be too quiet that God's not working. Sometimes God does his best work uh, in the silence. Don't assume that just because it's not loud, God's not working. God can work in the, si in the silence of your life. First Kings chapter number six, verse number 38 tells us this. The house of the Lord was finished in all its details according to all its plans. The house of the Lord was finished according to all its details and all its plans. That's what God's going to do in your life. I need somebody to believe that here today. That's what God's going to do in this church. Somebody say, yes, Lord. It's going to finish. God has a plan. God is working that plan. It's going to be all right. This is Philippians 1 and 6. My one last scripture for you. He who has begun. He who has begun a good work. Smile at your neighbor and say, I'm a good work. He who has begun a good work in you 
will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I bless your name, oh God. I bless your name. I exalt you. Somebody help me right now. Lift your voice. Put your hands together. Give God a shout of triumph in this house. We bless you, oh God. For listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.